Hello, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Creatives Chat. I'm Rusty. I'm Peter. And we're going to resume our Creatives Chat between Peter and Lauren in our after show convo. Our show shall begin now. Streaming from Retro Earth Studio and brought to you by WeAreHistorically.com Conscious Brand Apparel and Learn to play jazz piano like a pro by a pro with Jazz Piano Pro Essentials at jazzpianopro.com Everybody, meet Lauren. So I guess in the new moves in the, in the direction you're looking for, especially in the, the home setting department, where is all this, where have these past few months and this really past few years of just transformation and development and growing and understanding, where has it kind of directed you in this new movement, in this new direction? Um, I will say it's made me a lot more thankful for my family. Uh, and and the, the homesteading that I would like to do, I would like to get to but a you, point where my mom can retire. You will do. You will do. We yeah. speak with we speak with intention on this show. <laughs> I will be speaking with intent. I I <laughs> my goals are to have my parents retire. My my adopted parents who have who have sort of been there for me my whole life. I, I would like to be in a position to get them into retirement and have enough land where they can have their own space um, and be able to do my own sort of farm to table concept whenever I so choose, Ooh. perhaps even a bed and breakfast. But either way, I, I would just like to have a garden and a cow and a goat and I would like to make cheese and I would like to sell my fruits and vegetables. And I honestly, I think I, I have come to a point where I've decided I need to simplify my life. You know, I, I, I'm, I am an extroverted introvert. I, 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 I don't mind being a part of conversations. I love people, but I, I very much enjoy my solitude. I very much enjoy my peace. And so mm. much of my life has been stressful my entire life to where I've, it, I've just gotten to this point where it's like, I need peace and quiet and calm. And I need to be in a position to give myself that. Mm. So, you know, I, I think if I was waking up every morning and going and tending my garden, I'd be a pretty happy lady. Well, that's the fascinating aspect of when we are really going through those catalytic moments in our lives where it peels back so many layers where we just see that truth of our, really our heart, what we really want, where we want to take things. It never ceases to amaze me how it always comes back to these simple components of simplicity, immersion with nature and life, and mm. really more so doing things by hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's it's interesting to me that the simplification comes from doing things by hand, too isn't that crazy because 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 oh, yeah. so much is provided for us these days where you can just go to the store and grab it people just lose that appreciation for doing things with their hands and you know once you get back to that simple step and bring it into a second nature realm it, it's so much more satisfying yeah 100%. and i think a lot and, and it's like earlier i think a lot of people have really lost touch with that mm. So in terms of like, I always like to think of the solutions in this sense. Do you think it'd be beneficial to have like an entire almost year of education or like, you know, have it be something that's standardized throughout as you age in school, be focused on the culinary arts? Because then you could actually throw in this avenue of where it's like the, you know, the farm to the table, give people these life skills really show them, you know, a different perspective of just even like the industry itself from a student level early on. So, so I would say early education programs that incorporate culinary are, are incredible for children. One, um, <clears throat> it, it teaches creativity. It teaches science. It, it, it teaches everything you need to know. Cooking is so much more involved than I think people realize. Yeah. And, you know, um, there's actually tons of great 
charter schools that offer these programs, I think I would like to see it much more, you know, throughout school systems. I think it would be much more beneficial to all children to know where their food comes from. And, and you see it all the time when you do get a kid involved with their food, they, they automatically are drawn to it. They want to know, you know, kids, kids are so smart. They're so much smarter than we give them credit for. They're little sponges and any information that you give them, they take it. it, it, It absolutely blows my mind. You know, I feel like had we had the funding for those programs when I was in school, you know, I, I feel like I would have been much more drawn to this earlier in my life and, and, you know, potentially even be better at it than I am now, you know? Um, and uh, the unfortunate thing is that there's just no funding. Right. Well, that's the, I mean, schools are already underfunded as it is, Yeah. but once, once you get into, okay, where are we going to put the funding that we do have? The arts and all of that is the first thing to go. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because it, art is oh, so, so moving for so many people. And I can attest to that because one of my first jobs outside of, you know, like big pharma was teaching like after school classes and, and they had like a mm-hmm. kitchen available. So they were like, yeah, I mean, like just in terms of like, oh, we want to teach the kids throughout the school year, like, uh, we have a kitchen. Like, would you want to teach them how to cook? I was like, Oh yeah, I'm definitely making a cooking class. So it was just like basic stuff. It wasn't anything intense. Um, yeah. But there was something about seeing them kind of just like being super heads. Cause it was this age group was teenagers. I believe it was 13. No, it was 14 to like 16, 17. And to see their kind of like skepticism and just kind of like their tepidest like nature about, Oh, I'm in the kitchen. Oh, whatever. This is going to, it's not going to be anything fun. And then, after that first class, when they actually got to eat their food, there was like a switch that turned on at least like 95% of them where it was just like, oh, wow. Like you could just see the satisfaction in their eyes when they're like, I made that, you know, it's just like, it's such a simple win that especially in this age of like all this mental health pressure and just the different aspects of unhealthiness that our society conditions many into. Um, yeah. It's just such a simple win. It's just learning how to make your own food. Like make your own breakfast, food, yeah. make your own lunch, make your own dinner. Well, I will say, you know, as as a kid who was starved of those resources and like starved of starved of that knowledge and support for cooking, you know, if there is an outlet for that in another place, that's incredible. You know, because I I I can't tell you how many kids probably grew up like I did where, you know, they had no support. They had no, um, no one telling them they could and, and no outlet or funding in their schools to, to get them there. So, you know, it all just, it all comes back to having that support would, would be incredible for these kids, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, in your own experience, you talk about mentorship and having just the really these cool relationships with people and that are leaders in your field, how do you feel a mentorship has really transformed your professional and kind of personal life? And just when you had them, the advice they gave you, what's the kind of like real role? Do you always try to push people to get mentors in in your own industry outside? I think I definitely advocate for networking and working closely with your chefs and, and, and really trying to tap into their knowledge and get their mentorship. Um, but I will say that's not easy to come by. I mean, chefs will support you no matter what, because you're on their team, you're in their kitchen, but unless you show some real gumption and some real drive, they're not going to invest their knowledge in you. You know, you have, you have to earn respect. You have to earn their willingness to put themselves out there for you and, and give you the, give you the knowledge that you want and need. It, it actually can be kind of tough. Some chefs won't even let you touch the food. Like it's, it's, it can be, it can be challenging. You have to really get in there and do your best every day in order to earn that mentorship. Um, mm. You have to express the desire for it, but you have, you have to be the one to show that you're worth it. Um, so of course, you know, I, I do, recommend that everybody tries to find a mentor in their in their field but I will say in in my 
particular field, it's a little harder to come by unless you're really, really driven. Um, and you know, the, the mentors that I have, God, um, I, I wish I could pinpoint any specific like thing that's changed my life, but I feel like, you know, every, every single one of them has contributed to my life in such a different, meaningful way. It's hard to say mm. this is, this is the one, you know, Oh, 100%. Um, it, 100%. I, I'm, I'm very glad that I got all of them. Love it. Well, it just comes back to that. Everyone is a, everyone's piece of the same puzzle. And when we can exchange those pieces yeah. of wisdom and it's just, our picture gets clearer. We understand ourselves more, but that gumption you speak of that drive, I'm really interested in how that enabled you to kind of push through all these times of just kind of life throwing the haymakers at you. You know, it, it all goes back to human connection. Again, like if I didn't have the kind of support system that I have, it would be very, it would have been very difficult for me to do it. I, I myself am a very driven person, but I, there were, there were a lot of times where I was going to give up, you know, I, I, and I, I'm not ashamed to admit that, yeah. you know, uh, it, it's unfortunate, but I think we all hit those spots where we get discouraged and there's no way out or there's no you know light at the end of the tunnel but if it wasn't for my incredible adopted family and um and all my kitchen brothers you know i it would have been very hard for me to pick myself back up but uh actually you know that is that is a fair point uh to my chef aris because he's always the one who tells me to stop crying <laughs> He's, he's the poker. So. <laughs> well, even in that sense, though, has your relationship with cooking changed this past year? Like, it has. Me, it in, changed in, in, a lot. In what ways? I'm curious. You know, after after my dad passed, I lost a ton of my passion. You know, it it just died for months. You know, um, it was very, very hard for me to say, okay, I can do this because again, you know, my dad was my driving factor. Yeah. It was, it was very hard to continue to have a passion for cooking when you lose your superhero. Hmm. Um, but you know, I just got to a point where it was like, I wasn't eating. I needed to feed myself and, and that's what got me cooking again is I had to feed myself. So, you know, it, and then once I kind of got back into the kitchen, once I, you know, got the position at Black Belly where, where I'm currently at, you know, I, I just, it felt so much like home that it just brought me an incredible amount of peace. You know, it, mm. it's all in the doing, I would say it's very, it's, it's peaceful. When you're yeah. doing your thing, your thing, it's, it's, it helps. It's therapy. Yeah. And it's that cathartic experience where you can get that release and really just in, yeah. and pour yourself, you pour your beingness into the moment. Absolutely. So, uh, and, you know, and, and that came another change in my perspective on cooking where it just became strictly therapy. And I, I ended up having just this newfound joy of being in the kitchen again, mm. which was so crazy to me because I didn't even feel that joyful when I first started cooking. And, and you know, it's, it's crazy to me too because I had been rusty for a while. I'd, I'd made all these mistakes. I'd forgotten a ton of things. I had, I had, oh man. I massacred a halibut. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I, there were so many things that my hands just weren't working right, and I and I wasn't dialed in as well as I thought I was. But I was showing up, and I was so psyched just to be there. You know, it's so crazy. It, the fluctuation over the past six months has been has been a wild wild wave to ride. But when you come out on top of it and you really do try to ride it to shore, that's the coolest thing to see. And 
cooking is all about creation. Like you're creating so many new experiences that it changes yeah. perspectives. It's always cool. To well, but then I always, you know, I always like to kind of go back to that quote from Ratatouille, you know, um, where he says, you know, anybody can cook, but only the fearless can be great. Cause it does take a lot of, of grit. It takes a lot of work. It take it, it is hard to be a chef. It's hard to be successful in the restaurant industry and, and in the food industry in general. You know, anybody can slap some food on a plate, but to do it really, really well, to, to really make it something that people come back for, that they really enjoy, that they really care about, you, you gotta have that something. Mm. Mm. Excellent. And in your something, how has it transitioned into this new direction of just not only like mental health advocacy, but just overall health advocacy in this coming modern era post the Rona? Well, you know, um, being a mental health advocate has been sort of a tough transition to make. Because on the one hand, like I said, I work with a lot of people who have the same issues with me. So um, I, I have opened myself up to a, a new realm where I can be, I can be there for someone. I can support them in a way that that makes sense because they know that I've been through the same things. But it is also a very, um, it is a very soul task, and it is, it is, it does take a lot when you are an empath empath um and i you know it it's sort of <clears throat> it's sort of shifted my focus away from just executing food to really caring about the people that i work with and work for or that work under me um you know i i i think i used to just be like this is the way it is and this is it, and then blah, 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 blah. But then Corona happened and I, I like I said, you know, I've spent all this time with my family. I've, I've, I've become much more compassionate and patient. And mm -hmm. I've had conversations with the cooks that work for me that are a lot more kind than I've ever been, which is, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, because I see, I see that they are like me mm -hmm. and I, I want to protect them in a weird way. I think it's made me more of a mother. <laughs> it's, it's made me the motherly type, I suppose. But you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a strong supporter for everybody who works for me. I'm a strong supporter for everybody who works with me and under me and over me. And I, I think it's turned me into this person that's like, I'm here for you. Yeah, the compassionate wells have opened up. Fully. Just yeah, it's, it's definitely re-energized me a lot to give more of myself. You know, that's something that's really, in, it's exciting, yet it's also incredibly validating just hearing you say that, because I've always found that when people come to this point of being happy, right, when we've come to a point of really like self-acceptance and self-awareness, the natural impulse for everyone to do is just uplift those around them. It's never like, and you know, and it's, and it's this weird feedback. You want to get them, you want to get them happy. You want to get them where you are. You want to get right. them joyful every day. I mean, you know, happiness, laughter, all of that. It's contagious. It's a good thing that it's contagious. And it comes and back I think, to that playfulness. I, I think though. I love that it. light for other people is a great thing. It's all we do though. And I think this is where you can get to so many different like philosophical angles of, you know, if, is there innate good or evil in people? And in these adult examples, it's the exact same thing we were doing when we were kids. In truth, it really is. You know, we're always about that good time, just having up, helping someone, assisting them, just enjoying the now. And it's funny how we return yeah. to that through all of this process of just kind of going away mm -hmm. from our truth. And we finally value it. And we're like, yeah. oh my gosh, this is what we're doing. Yeah, uh, I will say um, a lot of my spiritual come to fruition um, happened not just because I lost my dad, but because I, at the time, was dating someone who had already come to those realizations for themselves and their lives. 
And mm-hmm. I like kind of like looked at that and I was like, God, I want to be that comfortable with myself and like happy about everything that I'm doing and satisfied and really caring about myself. Like I, I want to be like that. And and there was a lot of inspiration from that too as well. Ooh. When you see someone who already has their shit together, like really having their shit together and you're like, how do I get that? How do I get what you have? And, <laughs> but then that's, that's how you pass the torch along too. When, when you're yeah. being happy and making all these other people joyful around you, you're continuing to pass that torch. Yeah. And I mean, that's the real key here. I think one of the biggest takeaways of grace for everyone to always learn is that it's that love and those types of compassionate forces spread like wildfire, you know, and it's, there's always going to be haters. There's always going to be haters out there, you know, Um, but the real ones always can see it and they value that. And I think that's something that's been cool to kind of see is I feel more people nowadays have had that personal readjustment, that humbling experience, whatever it is that's shown them that, yeah, it's, this is what it's been about. And I see more people kind of waking up to that vibe. So it's exciting. Well, you could be the juiciest peach in the orchard and somebody don't like peaches. So (laughs) (laughs) you got to work with what you have. If somebody don't like it, then screw them. 100%. And that's the realm of judgment that so many of us have been kind of conditioned into naturally with a lot of the societal pressures to kind of, we had to learn to dance around dance. More people are doing that now. So it's, it's encouraging. And it sounds like you're kind of like that. People coming into their own and really just like, moving on their dreams it makes me happy it makes me proud to see people achieving oh of course when you create something and just your first moments of seeing it consumed by customers like because i know especially if it's at an open kitchen i'll be like (laughs) and if it's not an open kitchen i will make whatever server took that food come back and tell me if they liked it <laughs> immediately. I'll be like, I need feedback on this right now. I need to know what they said. Do they like it? <laughs> and I think, and all of us in the kitchen are like that too. We all do that. We all have a habit of just like staring at people until they take the first bite <laughs> and seeing if they like it or not. Well, that's the fascinating thing. It, well, I mean, you have different palettes, so everyone has their own different tastes, but like when you can make something that really hits every heart, that's when you know it's like, ooh, that's something special. Like, yeah. Well, I think um, uh, I, had a, I had a teacher in culinary school uh, who was from uh, Korea, hmm. and he, he was very, um, going back, Jap, Jap, Japanese cuisine. He was from Japan, sorry. Uh, my friend Howie, who was in the house, was in the class with me, was Korea, different people. Um, but he was a Japanese chef, very like, yeah. Japanese cuisine is very technical, and they are very fixated on hitting every, every taste sensation. And yeah. so before I plan out a menu item, before I think of what I want to do, I will first kind of say, okay, what's in season? What do I have available to me right now? And then I will go off of the taste spectrum and build from Mm. there. So like, I will try to make sure that it has every taste component because if it's well-rounded, it's much more likely that it's going to be incredibly appealing. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, you're getting into the taste wheel. You got the mastery aspect. And I want to bring that back up because, you know, when you said that comment of, you know, you're getting your thousand hours into this, you're mastering this, you're perfecting that. You go to the next thing, you perfect that, you master that. That's one of the underrated and underappreciated aspects, I think, of those who are chefs and work in the industry is just the the practice that they have it's at some mastery, some form of mastery. I've always found that some of the deepest conversations I've had were people that were in like the restaurant industry and culinary arts because of that. Especially a few chefs that I know because personally, they're great masters at that aspect of putting your dedication, your hours into something. And usually through their circumstance and the grind of things, it looks like they direct it towards themselves at some point because they come to these like crazy realizations. So in terms of just any type of 
tool that you use for yourself personally that applies on like every avenue of life, you know, from the kitchen to home to family to personal, like what have been some of your tools that you kind of help empower yourself and others with? Uh, I always use the Marie Kondo method. I always use the Marie Kondo method with every aspect of my life. Does it spark joy? Okay, no, then we're done. Love it. Efficient. Like if you, if, why would you waste, you have so little precious life on this yeah. planet. Why would you waste your time on bullshit? <laughs> if it sparks joy, keep it. If it doesn't spark joy, move forward. So in terms of the, the sparking joy, more so directing that towards the healing, like how's your healing methods changed? you know, your self-care, your self-love uh, throughout this process in these past few months? Mm, I will say I've been much more kind to myself, um, much more like in tune with my body and in tune with my needs. Um, I, I've, mm. I've taken better care of my body and my skin and, and my mental health in the last four months than I have in my entire life. Um, and you know, and I, I, I think it's come from a, a spot where it's just like, wow, I have the means to do this now because I've, I've, like I said, been very fortunate to have such a supporting family and I've been given the grace of time. Mm. Um, my parents are just very compassionate people, you know, that they, they don't make me pay rent or anything. Thank God. I love you, mom. Um, <laughs> But, um, you know, they, they're also very, like, they're very understanding. They, they want me to have my best shot. And they have been incredibly supportive of me doing things for myself. So my mm. mom and my sister have, have been on me about my skincare and, like, you know, find, helping me find the best products and really helping me improve myself. And, like, um, my, my adopted dad, Jim, has has really gotten on me about like having my shit together and like you know the timing and the appointments and the and the grown-up stuff like he's really he's helped mm. me become a much better like time management and and go-getter kind of person um so i i will say that like my perspective has changed immensely in the sense that it's like okay Everything that's right here, I have to take care of that first before I can go over here. Yeah. So it's shifted the mentality where it's like, I can control this space. So I will mm. fix this space first and then I'll allow my energy to be spent in this space. That's a powerful one, especially on that empath level where it's like, until you really get all the, the different feedback that's happening internally. It just makes all the other stuff you pick up so distorted and more intensified and just. Ugh. Yeah. Well, I will say, you know, I like, I, I have done most of what I've done in life completely alone. So like I, I was working at 14, you know, when I moved to Seattle, I was pretty much by myself. I lived there for six years. I was very self-sufficient and I never really had the means to sort of look in because I never had the time. Like I, I was always like supporting myself. Like I, I was always surviving. Uh, but you know, it's because my parents have given me this environment that I've been able to kind of take a step back and be like, oh wow, it's nice to take care of myself. It feels good to be happy. What a thought. But I mean, yeah, even that, I feel like there's so weird. much shame. There's a lot of shame though, even in just being happy. Like, you know, and I think that's one of those things that it's, I've never seen people because I work with this with some of my students where it's there's they're still from that point of learning to ask for help and to be mm -hmm. vulnerable that it's like just even getting like to dance on your own in the kitchen or just like to sing in the car to feel comfortable enough like doing things like that yourself it's always fascinating to me just how many people we censor ourselves like that's where self-sabotage mm -hmm. comes in and it really doesn't end yeah. until we recognize you know our our role in the chaos right I think vulnerability is such an underestimated trait to have. I think I think it's so much viewed as as a weakness that I think people can't look past that 
that openness and see it as as a truly healing spiritual thing. Yeah. I think vulnerability is an incredibly positive thing, whether it's through sadness or anger or kindness. Any type mm. of vulnerability can can become a positive thing. Yeah. And I think um, so often when you express vulnerability, it, it's so. What, what was, there was this thing I heard the other day. It was, it was like, you know, people's actions are not a reflection of you. Their actions are a reflection of them. So mm -hmm. when people don't respond well to your openness and vulnerability, it's not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of their openness and vulnerability. It's because you can't have a circle go into a square <laughs> hole. <laughs> like you can't, it, it, it won't work. If you're open and they're closed, you yeah. can't connect. Woof, learned that one multiple hard ways this past year plus. Yeah. But, yeah I resonate with that one. Yeah. It comes back to that sentiment where, you know, to really grow, we have to first recognize, and that's that act of vulnerability. But you mm -hmm. think of all those that choose to kind of bottle it up and throw it in the, you know, throw it in the closet, throw it in the room, and just let, wait until those things blow up. You only recognize that people manifest all this insanity and chaos and negative stuff in this world purely because they don't address themselves. And it's just like this, yeah. man, there's so much more potential in this world. Happiness comes from within. Happiness comes from within. I can't say it enough. <laughs> it, it all has to start here. And I think so many people are not ready to take that journey with themselves or unable to take that journey with themselves. So it's, it's, it can yeah. be tough. Yeah, especially when you're in survivor mode because if you're in survivor mm. mode and you have to spend all of your time trying to trying to make sure that the world doesn't blow up your world doesn't blow up you know i think it's harder to address those issues everybody is a is a victim of their circumstance i would say Ooh. i mean that's i'll expand upon that too where i feel like you know that it's a sense of victimhood that keeps us trapped in a lot of those different ways too where it's when we don't want to have the accountability or keep playing the blame game or I mean, however else it's going to manifest. So this is what I'm kind of curious because it's like from someone who's a survivor or someone who had to experience an intense loss, you know, I feel like anytime you tell someone something that doubts these changes are possible for themselves, they always go, oh, what have you been through? And it's to me, it's like, yeah, it sounds like you've been through quite a bit to be able to, you know, flex your philosophical weight on that. of <laughs> just, you know, the proof is where the pudding is. So how how do you kind of express yourself in the sense of just, you know, putting through the healing work and the time to really kind of digest life and learn from it and grow? I think I think I when I'm addressing other victims or survivors of of abuse in in particular, I I always sort of I divert back to myself before I was okay. And, and, you know, healing is everlasting. There's never, there's never a, a timeline on it. Um, and, I, you know, I obviously will still struggle with it for the rest of my life because that's, that's the impact that it has, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, I sort of divert back to, okay, when I was in this headspace, what did I need? So a perfect example is I was actually, um, I was speaking to another abuse survivor a couple of days ago. And the biggest thing that, that she needed was is it, all of the components of getting all of this together was just really overwhelming for her. So it's like, you know, mm. how can I support you? How can I provide you with resources that you need? How can I, how can I help you support yourself? Because like, yes, it's very hard to get out of that victim mentality, but a lot of people just don't know where to start. Mm. You know, I, and, and again, that's why removing the stigma from mental health is so incredibly important because a lot of people who have that victim mentality, they, they either don't seek help because they can't afford it or they don't seek help because they're embarrassed by it or, or they, they, they're afraid to be judged like there's so much stigma that surrounds mental health that while while I will say, yes, there has to be some sort of level of accountability, there also has to be this moment where you look at these people's circumstances and say, okay, well, we're in a we're in a country that provides no mental health care unless you got the money to back it up. 
we're we're in an environment that is incredibly toxic. America, America as a whole is an incredibly toxic environment. Um, <clears throat> the mentality in America has shifted in, in an incredibly toxic way over the last four years, I would say, where, you know, it's stuff that was always present, but now it's more aggressive. And the people who are subject to it are already vulnerable. So mm. it just makes it harder, you know, especially like, and I'll go back to like race. So if you are a person of color, it's even harder to get these resources because you're systemically pushed in a, in a less forgiving situation. You know, it, it, I will say that a lot of people who have, you know, the quote unquote victim mentality, a lot of them come from poverty. You know, a lot of them are people of color. A lot of, a lot of people end up staying in these situations because they don't have the resources. So it, it, it's very difficult to say, okay, well, you have to take accountability. You have to be the one to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. How can you do that if you have no access to any resources to do so? See, the, oh, I want to put, I got to push back on this because I use the term victimhood and accountability as the sense of truly what creates, you know, the definition and difference between an adolescent, a teen, and an adult. Um, mm just because of the sense of, you know, victimhood is meaning that it's just like the accountability of the sense of taking your life and be like asking for help, putting yourself out there. Um, I think the victimhood, I've, cause I experienced it from this angle where it's just like suburban area, you know, I had a lot of people who played the victim to their role and they got into really intense addiction. Like a lot of my friends that I grew up with are, you know, heroin addicts like in and out of rehab for years, MIA, just no one knows where they're at. And a lot of it was because of this kind of poor me victimhood mentality where they just didn't want to actually be vulnerable with themselves and hold themselves accountable. Mm -hmm. and accountability again is just honesty in this light where it's like, you know, in order to create a culture where everyone can feel supported, I think it's the biggest thing here is the stigma aspect of judgment more than anything else where it's like everyone, I feel like everyone has to go through this victimhood process before they come accountable. It's just like the hero's journey in our lives, but it's that light of yeah. like, do we actually value as a society like growth and change and people addressing that they they have issues and they want to work through them? No, you know, and it's especially one of the things that I've found in the black community is that there's always a stigma on that where it's just like there's some type of seeing yourself as soft or I know even getting teased like, oh, that's just your white side, Peter. Like, you know, hearing that type of stuff, like, you know, so I think it's it's one of those things where there's complexities everywhere, but ultimately like, you know, I'm so much of, I'm a firm knower in the, the strength of humans. I mean, we have so much potential in this world where I really do see a lot of it coming down to that avenue of heroes, you know? I mean, yeah. it's, it's a beautiful thing that you said it and I can tell, I could feel the sincerity and just the the, um, the energy from it of when you said like, oh, your dad was your hero in that sense of, you know, for the, yeah. the inspiration. Like that's something that I feel like we really just don't have anymore for a lot of people. It's like, yeah. they don't really have heroes. And that, and that type of that, that type of inspiration, that type of like direction that we want to take our lives is, it's a huge one. Yeah. You know, and, and again, like a lot of people don't have that, you know, yeah. especially if you end up in the situations that I was in. Yeah. Like if, if you don't have a whole lot of support on your side, it's, it's really hard to come out of that. But like, uh, you know, I, I will say that had I not been adoptive and not, ended up eventually getting that support. I just don't know that my life would have turned out the same. I, I think it does boil down to, you know, Love. like the nature versus nurture kind of argument. I think that there yeah. does need to be people in your life that want to help you. Like, yeah, yes, you're a victim, but someone has to tell you, hey, let's fix this yeah. and push you because how, how else can you find those resources? How else can you find that support? Yeah. You know, it, oh, yeah. especially with healthcare being completely un unaffordable in this country. Um, yeah. And not really you know, the it, right type of mental health. We, we have a lot of just drugs first yeah. over, over real healing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I very much recommend actual therapy. <laughs> 
actual therapy does help. Um, I, and I think, you know, again, there's so much stigma behind getting help that it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I'm not going to go to therapy. Why would I, why would I pay someone to listen to my problems? <laughs> There, it, there's too much stigma. If we can, if we can all work together to remove the stigma from mental health, then I think a lot less people would be victims and a lot more people would be survivors. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And again, because it's just that vicious feedback loop where those that really didn't get the healing repeat it, and it just kind of remains and keeps yeah. going, and we just keep passing those torches of issues, <laughs> generational traumas. Yeah, and the pain. cycle of abuse will continue as long as you let it. So that's a great avenue to to dive into for yourself is in terms of kind of ending these cycles, like the past patterns and, you know, the issues. I do know that it's an always recognized that like healing is a continual process. We're living in this infinite onion where we can just keep peeling those layers back. But you briefly mentioned it earlier, but where's that humility and honesty for yourself? How has that really transformed your self-awareness? I had to look, I had to take a hard look at some of the actions that I've taken in my life because, you know, I, I am certainly by no means perfect. I am no mother Teresa. That is for sure. Um, I, I have become a kind and compassionate person. Um, and I, I do like to think that, you know, I, I, I try to, for the most part, make the right choice. Um, but I've made a lot of poor decisions. You know, I've hurt a lot of people. I've done mm. a lot of things that I'm not proud of. And I had to sit down and look at some of those actions and be like, is this who I want to be? Is this the kind of person that I want to be next year, five years from now, 10 years from now? Do I want to leave a legacy behind? Do I want to be a kind, compassionate person and and love the people around me and spread joy. Like I I had to take a hard look in the mirror. And the reason I addressed my problems was because I had hurt people that I loved and cared Mm. about. You know, I I think, I think it takes, it takes losing something you really, really care about to have to take that hard look in the mirror and say, okay, something's got to change. And that's the the one aspect of life that I feel we have the most, obviously it's a turbulent time, but we have the most confusion because we're not really sure which direction to take things, but it's these kind of upending moments, these catalytic, like shocking points that can project us down a really opportunistic path of healing and growth and transformation. If we actually have that kind of courage and and humility to look at ourselves in the mirror and really face ourselves. And even that type of like, kind of like, I know some people call it like shadow work, but even those types of aspects of like your own inner looking, we don't even really value that as much, you know, because how many times, how many times you get treated by the same people that you, you know, grew up with that you haven't really talked with in like 20 years, 15 years, you know, and you, you link back up and they treat you the exact same way as their last version of you was, where they see you as this one person Mm. and they don't do the healing to really recognize and see who you are. So it's a fascinating oh, journey. Oh yeah, I know what that's like. We can't learn throughout the throughout the conflict. You know, we really come to value yeah. the the good when we experience the bad. You know, it all just makes us who we are. But you've used it rather than letting it destroy you, which is sound. You know, I will say, you know, I although I have used it instead of letting it get me down, I I I can't talk crap on people who haven't. You know what I mean? Right. Like, cause it, I, cause mm-hmm. I know how hard it is. I know how hard it is. It's tough. It's really hard. <laughs> like it, it, there's just, there's no reason to stress about so many of the things that I used to be so stressed about. Like I, I mm-hmm. just, there was times where I would just have these panic attacks over seemingly nothing. Honestly, if I had to look back, seemingly nothing at the time of course it it mattered very much to me but you know um I sort of just like does this matter that much that I and I I've been able to kind of create this newfound composure and in myself by just being like okay all right whatever no one's gonna die just do it again whatever 
I've I've adopted a whatever mentality (laughs) where I'm just like, okay, well, here we go. Push through. Let's go to the next thing. Let's go. See, that's a super deep spiritual recognition. We only have control. We have control over nothing else really matters. (laughs) You can only control what's right here. You can't control anything outside of what's right here. Yeah. And so if I can't control it, then why the heck am I freaking out about it? And if I can't control it, why the heck am I not doing anything about it? See that right there, though, that is the accountable approach to recognizing life. But I guess that's one of the things, though, is throughout this process, it does sound like you have learned to really turn the dials off to a lot of these different stressors. So like, I cook all day, so I'll I'll bake if I need a cathartic activity, or I, I'll do woodworking, or I'll I'll knit. Um, knitting is knitting is the new one, so that's awesome, though. Well, it just goes to show how things can can branch out when you choose to utilize that energy for something creative, and I think that's one of those things where it's yeah. like you know a lot of the a lot of the self-sabotage that arises in, you know, the human experience all happens in here. And when we divert that attention and affection away from the imagination towards just like the hands, towards just building something, creating something, that's where I've always found people, like if there's one pattern of those who have kind of flipped a switch in their life, it's just like, okay, what things do they build and create? Yeah. That's usually the first go-to. Yeah, I find old beat up furniture on Craigslist and I flip it and then I throw it in my room. <laughs> so, Love it. It's and nice. It, it's tedious and involved and I don't have to think about anything. It's nice. Sanding wood. That's that's it. That's all I do. Well, that right there just goes to show the difference nowadays versus really this kind of like old timey, we're coming back into like what really brings the human spirit joy. That is at least what I observe. I, they are all, everything is grace. So I call them these gracious opportunities to transform and heal and grow. You know, not everyone really like learns from that, <laughs> learn from that. They usually tend to get worse. So I mean, again, it's always refreshing and validating that, you know, there's a lot more people waking up out there to like these deeper truths because that one is oh, yeah. probably the most important. It's like, what are you doing? Your, like, how, why, why are you showing up? Like, who are you showing up for? Yeah. I thought I was showing up for me for a very long time. I really did. Mm. But I realized after, after that, that maybe, you know, maybe I wasn't. Mm. So that's okay. So that's probably like one of the questions that I need to ask, because this is a very important one for nowadays. Mm-hmm. When you came to that realization how did you stop the the kind of banter that we always kind of get caught up in that it's just like the the talk trying to dissuade you and say it's no that's not it no you were you you were doing it for yourself like when did you just be like no no bullshit when was the realness that came out um i think i think after i got hurt i think after i got really hurt i sort of mm. i i had to take a lot more introspective thought and, and say, okay, well, what is, what really drives me? What really makes me who I am, make, makes me want to be this and do this. And, and that, that was the, the moment I would say. Wow. I, I was laying in the hospital bed after projectile vomiting. And I was like, Well, hey, I had projectile vomit on my neck and I was like, you know <gasps> what? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> this isn't it. <laughs> this isn't really it for me, I think. That's fascinating. And in the sense of, you know, again, to take the inner looking. Like right? I mean, it's, it's just another testament of just transforming suffering into strength you know, like pain yeah. into power. And it's that really cool opportunity to recognize that everything is a grace in a sense, you know? So it's, it's just cool to see, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are, have experienced a lot of change and transformation, you know, a lot of loss and new yeah. beginnings. So, you know, it's been, 
it's been interesting to kind of pick your brain out. I thank you. I thank you very much for being vulnerable with us here on Creative Chat. Um, yeah, is there, of course. Of so course. before we kind of wrap things up, I'm just curious, you know, is there any last little note, any nugget of wisdom that you want to kind of pass on to those who may be experiencing, you know, similar situations of loss and transformation and just transition? You know, um, the most important bit of advice that I can give anybody who comes from the same background that I come from or or is in the similar situations that I'm currently in uh, is to be kind to yourself. Just be kind to yourself. You know, be patient with yourself. Look, look within. Don't don't hyper fixate on the world around you. Hyper fixate on what can you do to love yourself that day, because if you are giving yourself the time, if you're if you're loving yourself, those those realizations come a lot quicker. Mm. Well, I'll just say that was an amazing after show. And again, Lauren, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experiences with us. I know you left us with one juicy piece, but in terms of the we'll gear it towards the kitchen, maybe this end, in terms of those who are aspiring to become chefs and really, you know, run their own restaurant one day, what's your biggest piece of advice? If you really want to be a chef, if that's the path you want to go down, um, be open to learning, never be arrogant, be humble, just absorb information. Cause the, the amount of time that you're in, in the industry doesn't exactly equate to your absorbency. So be absorbent, be a sponge, you know, get out there, be willing to learn, be willing to keep your mouth shut, write everything down, just really absorb everything around you because it doesn't happen more than once. Ooh, I love it. I love it. And again, with that, Lord, thank you so much for joining us on Creative Chat. Listeners, thanks again for tapping into another show. Tune in next week. Roll the outro. That concludes this episode of Creatives Chat. Thank you for watching. Join us every Thursday at 3.33 p.m. Pacific Daily Time as creative minds get together and chat about who knows what. View more episodes on our YouTube channel. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Thanks again to our sponsors for making this show possible. Thank you, We Are Storically, for your conscious human apparel. Shop online at wearehistorically.com. Hi, I'm Darius Wilrich. I'll teach you everything you need to know about playing jazz piano like a pro with my 12-week online video course and downloadable guidebook, Jazz Piano Pro Essentials. Enroll today at jazzpianopro.com. Thank you for joining us. Have a happy always. Yeah, that was a solid one.